is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucs, Jay Sandoz. All right, good Monday. We were not with you last week because of a lot of travel things. Crossover season. Crossover. You traveled to Indianapolis. I traveled to Radford, Virginia. And I think something broke in the steering on my car on the way back because I'm hearing some weird grinding and clanging noises when I make turns and go over bumps. So uh, i got to take that and get it looked at. Fun times. It's tough adulting. Yes, being an adult and owning a car free and clear is difficult, but uh, I'm not complaining too much because I could still have a car payment and also have to work on the car. So here we are. Welcome to the Jay Keith Show. We're back, and we are back at a very important time. Yes, and these are not fun shows. No, they're not. I, I Well, remember last year, you left me in the lurch. I had to do the Desmond Oliver show by myself. That doesn't sound like me at all. That uh, sounds exactly like you. That, is not, that does not sound It sounds like exactly you. like the guy that lost the pick six this year. It does not sound um, like you. Anyway, uh, we, we pairing the lead. George Quarles uh, has been uh, dismissed, uh, relieved, whatever parlance you wish to use, as the head coach of ETSU football after two seasons, a uh, 6-16 and record, and uh, closed his tenure out with a win. Nice way to feel good at the end of things with a 35-23 victory over the Citadel. But um, this is something that I think we're all sad to see. You know, it, you know, George Quarles is an extremely good person, and he conducted himself with immense class. And uh, for that, I will forever respect and appreciate George. Uh, that being said, this is about the results on the field, and the state of the product on the field was clearly not where the powers that be wanted it to be, and a change was made, and I I think this is a decision that is not made lightly. This is a decision that is made with the understanding that ETSU is going to go on a long search, and ETSU is going to do some very thorough work to try to identify a coach to come in here and get this program back to to the heights that Randy Sanders could bring it to uh, when he was in charge, winning a title in 2018, winning a title with possibly the best team in school history in 2021, uh, this is uh, a, a, a time to make that change before uh, the memories of what was achieved during that time are washed away from the program. I mean, a lot of the players that were on those teams are still here. So those memories are still very fresh, they're very real, and the expectation is very fresh and very real. The expectation is that those things are recaptured. And... Um, I think it was pretty clear the direction the program was headed was not an auspicious one for ETSU football with George Quarles as, at the helm of it. So a change was made. Yeah, these aren't – I mean, it's just not fun. I mean, I, I know for a lot of fans it's exciting because now who's the next guy going to be and you start to speculate and all that. I will say, I mean, George Quarles took a lot, a lot of heat on social media, and I was glad to see when the announcement went, instead of trying to bury a guy that just lost his job, there were a lot of thank yous, there was a lot of like, hey, he seemed like a great man, he conducted himself with class, all the things, we wish him the best, and I was glad to see that approach um, once it was done, because, again, we, talk, me and Keith here, uh, you know, we deal with these coaches daily basis we meet their families we talk to their kids and and we get it we've worked long in this business i've worked obviously longer keith but keith's been a decade now into this so he understands like it's a business and you know the days of five and six years to try to build a program don't exist anywhere really anymore you know and especially coming off what etsu had done just look at what basketball did in two years. Now you're looking at what this in two years. So, the, I mean, it's kind of, you know, hey, you've got to give us sign of life, proof, hope, whatever it is. And I give the administration credit 
simple reason. They waited at the end of the year to, to dive into all of it. They had, um, you know, a Sunday afternoon meeting after the game and had lots of criterias and things that they were looking at and doing. And, you know, was there a thought process he could have stayed? I believe there was. I believe they, they did look at a lot of scenarios. This wasn't just a, oh, my goodness, you know, let's, you know, end of the game. We have let, to do this, right. like, fire him on the field. There was none of that. There no. None of that. And I think, you know, they did the same thing with basketball. You know, at the end of the year, they looked at that. And ultimately, the decision for both was, is this going the direction we want it to go, number one? And number two, does it look like it can be turned around to go in the direction we want? And how quickly will that occur with the current leadership? And to me, the answer to both of those, and specifically football, what we're talking about, was no, we feel like this is not going to turn the way we want it to anytime soon, so we are going to make a change. And Coach Corals was put in a tough spot because of what Keith just said. You take over an 11-2 and two team. Normally you get a job because the other guy did bad. Now there are, yes, there are situations where guys win and move on, you take over, but the win and move on taking over – has a lot more pressure to it, attached to it, than if you take over a program that they got rid of the coach because they weren't winning. Right. And unfortunately in this world, there's a lot turnover because they're not winning more than there's turnover because they're winning and moved on. So news came out, um, you know, now the time to look for, okay, what is the time frame, right? And I think there's no magic crystal ball here. It was the same thing with basketball. I think as – Fans, and, and include me in this too, right? I mean, I, but let's be honest. I grew up a fan and came to games in the early 80s and a, pretty much a walking encyclopedia for most ETSU things because of my fandom uh, and just have more access to records now to really dive into it. But I understand why you want this to be fast in a week or two weeks. And, you go, and if the right candidate comes up and it's a no-brainer, then I think it should only take a week or two weeks. But I think last time there was a timetable, and people wanted to know by Christmas or whatever. They wanted to know by this date this is who it is. But that allowed you or handcuffed you not to interview certain coaches that were in the playoffs, right. certain coordinators. So I don't want a fast search so that everybody feels good about, well, we got to get the guy, we got to get recruiting. If you don't sign an, uh, some guys in early December because you're waiting to the playoffs and things to get the right coach – to me, that should be what it is about, getting the right person in for the job, as opposed to, well, we got to get a coach in here now to get recruited. To me, I, I could care less about that, especially with the way the portal is working nowadays. I right, don't think the portal is going to be so active all throughout the winter. You're going to have a January period where you can get some guys on campus and get some visits, and, and you're going to be able to at least build a class that can get you moving in the right direction and can improve this team. And then you're going to need more guys in the spring. And honestly, this is a situation where I think ETSU football needs to take all covers. Uh, this is a, uh, a program that simply does not have the bodies to function the way that it needs to because of so many injuries and so many departures and so many players that left that sapped the depth out of this team. Um, you're you're going to need to be – very active in recruiting regardless of when. So I, I, I'm with you. Get the right guy in here. Get the right relationships um, to, to connect you to the right players that are going to help at the impact level, You know, at the, at the, on the ones and the twos, guys that are going to make an impact on your roster. But eventually at some point, yeah, you're probably going to need to hit the portal for threes and fours as well. And, and that's an interesting discussion, right, is how does a guy go into the transfer portal and then land at a place like ETSU where he knows he's probably going to play 10% of the snaps. Th that will be uh, very interesting to watch play out. Uh, but that's how – I mean, that's how Austin P did it. Austin P offered – if you if you uh, were in the transfer portal and you could hold the door open, Austin P offered you a scholarship. Uh, that is what a lot of teams are going to have to do this year. And it worked out perfectly for Austin P. Austin P went 9-2. and two. Austin P probably feels hard done by that they didn't get a seed. I don't agree, but they had a great year, and they won their conference, and partly because they had the depth to withstand injuries. Um, but for ETSU and what this program is looking for, I think there is a mindset that the opportunity is ripe to contend, 
that the conference is not open and shut. There is no North Dakota State juggernaut at the top of the SOCON. And to not contend is anathema. Um, and in order to contend, you need to get the right players, but you need to get the right coach first. And I'm with you. Odds are good that the next head coach of ETSU football is still coaching right now and is, is still playing games right now. And that means that this process may take a little bit longer than everybody wants it to. Um, do I think it will happen before the early signing day? Yes. Do I think that there will be a, a definitive resolution by that point? Because that's what, like the third Wednesday in December or something? I think we can, I think we can get there by that point. But this is not going to be a seven-day search, a 10-day search. This is not going to be a 14-day search even. So I'm looking at this and saying, take your time, get it right. If you have the opportunity to go interview a coordinator in a seeded team uh, and that seeded team is playing in the quarterfinals, hey, maybe you have to wait an extra week to get your coach in here officially. But um, that is not something that bothers me. I, I want them to get this one right. I do not want them to rush it. I want them to measure twice and cut once when it comes to the, the 20th head coach of ETSU football Um and uh, I, I initially thought it was the 19th, but actually W.R. Windis doesn't have uh, records in the record book, but he was the coach of the first two teams in ETSU history. So 20th head coach in ETSU history. I want them to get this one absolutely right. Signing day is also the 20th, December 20th. So yes. right before Christmas, and that's about the time uh, Coach Corals um, got it right before Christmas break. I don't think 21st or 22nd. So it was, it was right around there that uh, he got the job. So I – I'm more about the right guy. I mean, if it takes a while, and I know fans are not patient, and it you could see it happen with the last couple of basketball searches. It was, you know, why do I want to hear anything? Why do I want to hear anything? Well, we got to get this. Well, we're, we're missing out on all these people. Well, my thing is, if that if you got a person that's interested in the job, Right, and they're talking about, and, they, and if they're fighting another school, and ETSU is going up against another school for somebody, then yes, the urgency is there. But if you've identified them as your number one target, they identified you as the number one landing spot. Then, to me, that song and dance can can take a little bit. And so, um, and there'll be names. Uh, you know, again, it was one of those things. Um, we'll hear names. We'll hear a lot of different takes on who's going to go where, who's going to do what. Um, as always, I've never included in that room, so a lot of times yeah. people ask us, and, and on the pod we'll get random questions about, hey, well, we're hearing this guy or that guy. Well, you may be hearing this guy or that guy. Now, after the fact, we were able to get some things confirmed, like the Jeff Fisher and some other people that had legitimately had a conversation. That, yes. You know, appeared to. And I can confirm with Tyler Roll that, like, that, that conversation did happen. I talked to him about it at North Dakota State. So um, like there, there was at least a preliminary conversation between him and ETSU. We, and um, Doc even sat in here and confirmed the same thing. And, and I think that's the one thing. We can – the one thing about Dr. Santa, we know this, we'll probably have an inside the dome at some point. Uh, on oh, no this. doubt. And he'll, you know, take your questions about – now, right now, his number one goal besides, you know, making sure the department's uh, up and running properly and everything day-to-day is to find a football coach. So I am not going to bother him uh, in the next week and say, hey, let's do an inside the dome. And I think fans can appreciate right. the fact that let's wait till we get a guy and then, then send your questions in. We'll ask him, and we'll walk through the, the process and answer your questions on the process as best as he can without protecting some folks that want to be protected. Oh, I also think the other side of this is that um, I don't know that ETSU has a clear path it wants to take. I think this is more of an open book. For instance, the last search for Brooks Savage, Desmond Oliver was announced as no longer being the head coach on March 10th, and Brooks Savage was hired on March 20th. Um, that's not going to happen because Agreed. men's basketball, you had a pretty short list of candidates. You had a good feel for, hey, these are the guys that we're looking at. There were maybe three or four that really stood out. Savage was obviously very high on that list. 
And when you went through the process, Savage stood out. It was very open and shut. Um, with ETSU women's basketball, there was a sudden change. You needed a head coach quickly. I think that one took less than two weeks to get Brenda Mock Brown. And the, the, the Doc kind of lucked out because Mock wasn't coaching. If Mock had been coaching, we would not probably would not have gotten Mock so close before the start of the season. So, uh, again, I don't think this is a situation where the next head coach is just an obvious choice. I don't even think there are three or four obvious candidates. When, when they say national search, when the release said national search, this means national search. Leave no stone unturned. Identify a new head coach. Um, it does not matter where that coach for, comes from. That coach could come from Appalachia. They could come from the, mid, the lower Midwest. They could come from the upper Midwest. They could come from Texas. They could come from California. They come from Maine. I, I don't care. Um, but finding the right coach means taking a truly national perspective on this because what is the identity of ETSU football? The identity of ETSU basketball was toughness and grit and championships. Like There was a more established identity as a mid-major program for men's basketball. This football program is eight years old in practice. It doesn't really have an identity yet. And I, I think you, you want a coach that is going to definitively stamp this program with a new identity when you make this hire because that's what's going to allow you not just to have a couple of years where you're really good, but to have sustained success is building an identity that starts with the guy at the top. And that means getting this one right. And I think this is one that it's going to be a long, long search. It's going to be a thorough search. Uh, it's going to be a search that does not have a predetermined set of front runners. For basketball, men's and women's, I think we all know Dr. Sanders very connected in the basketball 100%. community. And so he had six or seven names on the list that he had identified. Obviously, people reached out. They interviewed six or seven. They narrowed it down to two. They talked to both those candidates again. Then Brooke Savage ends up being the head coach. I think the smartest thing, and I don't know that they're doing this, but to me one of the smart things to do is you have a guy down the hallway who had hired a bunch of coaches and has been tied into the football world um, since his early days working for Phil Fulmer as ops guy before he was an ops guy, and that's David, David Blackburn. Blackburn. And I think they would be very remiss if they didn't tap into him knowing everybody in the football world. It is amazing to me. I got to sit in on a scheduling thing with uh, uh, David Blackburn. Basically, there's a site, gridiron.com, and the guy used to work for ESPN, and he would schedule all the money games, all yeah. the, the made-for-TV games. Yeah. And he invented a business that all the FCS, FBS, Division II teams use to schedule. And so you go in there, you type in dates, you type in what you need. And, I mean, it's a full working thing. And so I was just enthralled with learning the inner working. So they let me just sit there as a sponge and listen and take notes. And every time that somebody would ask from football, well, maybe we want to play this team. And Dave Blackmore's like, oh, I know so-and-so. I can call him. And then he would turn around to the scheduling guru and say, what about this guy? Is he there? And the schedule would no, but you know who you do know, you know him. And then they go back and forth. And I was, I mean, you could pick, throw a dart at a school, and he knew somebody that was connected to football some way. And it is amazing to me. That was when I just looked at uh, David Blackmore. I was like, man, this guy is super connected. Now, it pains me that he was at Chattanooga forever and then saw the light put on the good blue and gold. But I would imagine that all the football know-how people and agents of coaches know that they quickly do a search of ETSU in football and they see David Blackburn's name. I assume he's already been inundated with calls, and I'm assuming he is meeting with uh, Nolan and uh, Sander to talk about, you know, hey, here's some guys we're going to look at. Now, I don't think he's going to make the hire, but I do think David Blackburn, A, his, he's going to carry a lot of weight in the room, and I think he's going to help give candidates – to the right people to make a discussion, right, wrong, and different, he's going to have an opinion on these guys and, and try to put people in the right spot. Um, I think that's the next factor that people need to consider. 
Yes, I, I don't recall readily if he hired Russ Huseman or not at Chattanooga, but he has obviously been around a program that was a consistent top 25 program, consistent playoff program during Huseman's run. Uh, so he has an idea of what this needs to look like and how this needs to be shaped in order to um, maximize the potential of ETSU. Because if you ask people around the country, is ETSU a good job? I think by default they're going to say yes. Now, some people are going to say that because any head coaching job is a good job, right? Because there are only, what, 250 Division One football jobs. Compare that with 365 or 363 men's basketball jobs. Um, compare that with 361 women's basketball jobs because Citadel and VMI. Um, there are only 130 FBS jobs or 125 FBS jobs or FCS jobs and 130 FBS jobs. Like, there's not that many out there. This is 250, 260. Um, if you have one of those jobs, you have made it to a significant and important level in the profession. Um, and that's something that needs to be considered and something that needs to be um, taken stock of when you ask, is this a good job? Um, obviously, facilities are very important. You have one of the, the – you have an outstanding indoor practice facility, and the weight room is attached to it. I think that's a really terrific selling point for a coach. Um, it's certainly a terrific selling point, I think, for recruits. The game day atmosphere is outstanding. Facility, the game day facility is excellent. Uh, that's all very important. I think resources as well. When you start to get into the nuts and bolts, what's your recruiting budget? What's the travel situation look like? Um, how how much can, how much time can my are my coaches allowed to spend on the road, pound and pavement, and getting us guys? Because recruiting is the lifeblood of the program. Uh, all of those things are are very important, and I think ETSU rates out better than a lot of schools around the country when it comes to those types of things. And that makes ETSU a more – even amongst um, head coaching jobs and Division One head coaching jobs, I think ETSU is definitely in the top half of those jobs, just in terms of its general appeal. So this is a good job. I expect it to be a really good competitive candidate pool. Uh, this is going to be a process that's very fun to watch unfold. But, again – I do not expect a swift resolution to this process either. This is one you take your time and you do your due diligence. I would be concerned if it was super fast, to be if honest. If we had a coach next Monday, yeah, I'd be very I, I'd be I like, mean, what, what, what happened? If it's – and I'm just making it up. If Jimbo Fisher calls and says, I'm starting Monday, I think you're okay. I agree. You you take Jimbo Fisher move on. But, sure. I'm, but let's be honest. I mean, it, it, if it happens that fast, it needs to be something where everybody on the planet goes, yes, that makes sense. And I don't see that out there at this moment. Again, I have no idea who is interested here, there, whatever. Now, we've, you know, like we do, you know, we're going to give you some of our fun lists and things of pure speculation because, again, they are not going to ask me and Keith who uh, you want to hire, but we certainly can come up with a list of names because we're podcasters and that's what we like to do. We've come up with a list of names, and we'll talk about those in a second. But I would be concerned um, if they hired in seven to ten days, unless, again, it's one of those where everyone's kind of on board. It's just like, oh, duh, yeah, if you can do that, go for it. When Randy Sanders made a phone call, that happened in two days. Randy Sanders called Phil Fulmer and said, hey, I know you wanted to talk to me when you started football. wasn't the right time. I just moved to Tallahassee. I gave my word. But, you know, things are different. Jimbo's going to a and I don't think I'm going to go with him. I'd be interested in the job. Phil said, let me call Scott. Call Scott. They have a quick phone call. Next thing you know, Randy kind of flies up. They have a little meeting. Flies back. day later, contract's done. Done and done. I mean, again, no-brainer. When Randy Sanders was hired, there were there was probably one or two Tennessee fans that hated Randy Sanders at the end of his tenure as an offense coordinator. Like, oh, why would we bring that guy in? But 99 point whatever percent of America that saw that outside of the East Tennessee bubble is like, that's a great hire. And that made sense. So you can have those, and you don't know who's interested in that. Because let's be honest, no one thought a couple years removed from a Heisman Trophy and a BCS National Championship game that Randy Sanders was going to be available to be the head coach at ETSU. Yeah. 
Um, I, I will say I think this is – this feels to me like a situation where head coaching experience is a requirement or, or at the very least is a preference. Somebody that has been in charge before, um, someone who maybe has experience – not necessarily like is, is like oh it's a razzle dazzle recruiter or, you know PJ Fleck type. I mean, you know, not necessarily needing that, but someone that has done the day to day, has run an operation before. Uh, I, I think that is what this program really needs to, to get it started. Is somebody, and, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be the head coach, but the head coach then needs kind of like Brooks Savage has with Brian Jones, a former head coach high up on the staff that can help guide them out. But somewhere in here, there needs to be a former head coach uh, or a head I mean, if it's, I mean, if there's a head coach somewhere else that's willing to come here, that would probably be not a bad idea. Um, is it a deal breaker? If you're not, no, absolutely not. If it's the right guy, it's the right guy. But um, somebody that uh, can help rebuild this program because they are working from not quite square one because there's talented players here. But there's just not a lot of players, period. The ones you have are pretty good. You just need more. And that's the that's the toughest challenge, I think, because that became a challenge in the practice environment. Also, like just just the different little things that some staffs will spend. One time I was I, I was uh, privy to a coaching staff. This coaching staff is no longer working together um, for a number of reasons, mainly because they weren't winning. But uh, they would take hours upon hours every before every practice. It was a two-hour meeting to plan the practice before every practice, and it was it was just a huge time sink. And that comes from somebody who has never done that before and doesn't know what that needs to look like. So there's there's definitely a need somewhere for a significant level of experience. I don't think it has to be the head coach, but it's probably not the worst thing in the world if it is someone who has been a former head coach or associate head coach, someone somewhere who has been very high up the ladder of a, a program that has had some success. I agree. You want to go over the Keith wish list? Should we? I don't know. I don't know. You want to wait? You want to wait? You'll save it for another show? Or, you, or, or do you want to, do you want to first guess some uh, – uh, the wish list, again, they're, listen, they're not going to talk to us. It doesn't matter what I say right now. If I said, hey, talk to this guy, they're not going to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to no. They're, they're going to figure out who it is. Now, we could, you know, blind squirrel, right? Could we could we get one of those guys uh, sure. to interview? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll throw you a, a random name okay. that is not one that's going to be thought of a ton, uh, but it's a guy that I've always been a fan of. I've, I've talked to him a few times. Uh, didn't, I'm going to say I got to know him, but I talked to him a few times when I worked at Fargo, and that is uh, Rob Ambrose, who used to be the head coach at Towson. Uh, he took the Tigers to a national championship game in 2013. That team was ranked quite a bit. Um, they were not necessarily the most competitive in the CAA from a resource standpoint, which is why the wins and losses kind of came and went. Uh, but somebody, again, who has run a program, who knows how to center the athlete in the, the building of that program, uh, I think would not be a bad choice. Um, obviously would be very interested in Tyler Roll. Again, um, just the things that he's able to do and, and the, the talent that he's able to bring in and, and develop and, and his philosophy, I think, in general around the game of football would bring a lot of energy to this program and would be very valuable. Um, one name that you and I have both talked about is uh, Scott Wackenheim, who used to be the head coach at VMI, has won a SOCON title, has won the Eddie Robinson Award. And when you talk about doing more with less – not that you necessarily have to do that at ETSU, but you talk about doing more with less. Yeah. But that guy did the most with the least. I mean, that was impressive what he was able to do there. Um, now, there are, there are a lot of others, um, some of whom we can talk about at length over time, some of whom uh, not. Of course, I think everyone is oh, – we, we've already discussed the big one, and then I think uh, Jimbo Fisher, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. John, John, John get, Gruden's out there. Can we get Jimbo Fisher for $100,000 a year? <laughs> Do you even have to get him for that? Do you have to get him for anything? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like, hey, uh, Jimbo, I mean, we're going to mitigate. Maybe he needs something just for insurance purposes. I don't know how that works. And, you know, so you just give him 100 k and say, hey, 
the, the other 7.65 million will come from Texas A&M, and we'll just cover one of those point ones for you and uh, get that covered. I think that's an easy one. Uh, that would be. I'm mean, have Randy's phone number. You want to call Sanders? He wants to come back. Uh, last I heard, uh, last time I called him, he was on a boat fishing. So I'm guessing no. But uh, oh, it's a day that en- you called him on a day that ended in a Y, then. Correct. Correct. And so he was. I, I think Randy is enjoying his retirement a great deal. Mike Smith was in my office the other day, three-time NFL Coach of the Year. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, although he's never coached in college, it's probably one of those things. Yeah, that would certainly be a uh, a nice name to have at the top of the program. Dino Baber, we'll get Dino. Dino, Dino Baber, yeah, let's like go, baby. Syracuse, yeah, Run, you know, play, play a little, uh, play a little run and shoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there's some out there. No, there's, there's some good ones. There's some. Some of these we're serious about, and some of these we're not. But also, we're not not serious about them. That's right. If they called, it's like if somebody called and said, "Hey, I'd love to have this job." Um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot you could do with marketing of Dino if he came down here. Uh, First of all, I've talked to several people that have been other places he's been and says he is phenomenal to deal with. So I always like coaches here that are easy to deal with. I have actually heard that as well. Not in the same circles that you yeah. have, but I have heard that Dino's really good to work with. Yeah. Jimbo is not, I've heard. So maybe you don't want to work with Jimbo. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, J- Jimbo, uh, Jimbo is, well, I did Jimbo's, co- I produced Jimbo's college show when I worked at uh, IMG for years in Winston-Salem because they run the college show through that. And, um, one time we had somebody call in that wanted to ask about uh, special teams, they said. And so I put them on, and uh, they immediately asked if Jimbo was taking the LSU job. Oh, the bait and switch. <laughs> the bait and switch. Jimbo handled it well. Uh, there were actually Keep got boos. fired. Keep there, got fired. There were, some, there were some boos in the crowd at the caller after that. And Gene Deckerhoff was a pro. He, oh. he, he played that off. Gene is phenomenal. Gene's awesome. Oh. Um, and, he, yeah, he played that off, and uh, Jimbo – Jimbo handled it well, and then he left. Uh, his, I mean, technically, it was true. He didn't take the uh, he didn't take the LSU job. He took the Texas A and M job. Mm-hmm. A couple years, I think that was that was two years later, because that was that would have been fall of fifteen, and then sixteen. And he left for A and M in. Winter of seventeen eighteen. It would have been after the seventeenth season because we got yeah, Randy Sanders for the start of the eighteen. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, he didn't take the LSU job. He waited a couple years and took the Texas A and M job. So, but that was that's my most vivid Jimbo Fisher memory. No, I like it. No, that, that, I mean, you know, I, I just hope I just hope the guy does, didn't already buy a Christmas tree that he would suddenly have to leave out on the curb again. I can't even imagine. Like, I'm a Christmas person, man. That that was sacrilege to me. Just threw out a beautiful spruce pine. Come on. The church, the fur, the mighty Scots pine. You know, the I'm a lumberjack, and I'm okay. I sleep all night, and I work all day. That is actually true. Well, we will have more on, as we digress here, on each issue. Football, the coach search, and stuff as the Jane Keith podcast continue. Throughout the year. Yeah, I think we should probably talk about some basketball now. Actually, before you hit that button, I got one more name for you. Trey Lamb, head coach at Gardner-Webb. I think he would be a really exciting hire. Um, I think it would be somebody who has done this before, proven winner, uh, established head coach already, has already built a robust coaching tree. People know him. People respect him around the industry. Uh, would be somebody that I think would be very exciting to go out and get. And um, I, I'm curi- I'm just curious to see what sort of names pop up over the course of this search. But that was one that, you know, when I, when I looked out over the landscape and, you know, a couple people have mentioned like, hey, maybe that would be a, a guy to keep an eye on. And I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what anybody's priorities are. But, I mean, if we're going to talk about Jimbo Fisher – I think we can talk about Trey Lamb. Now we can talk about basketball. Unless you had more you wanted to add on. No, the Lamb, the Lamb family in the Southern Conference obviously holds a lot of weight. Yes. I believe it's his uncle is Bobby Lamb. Is it, is it Bobby's uh, his uncle? I want to say Bobby's his uncle. I have to check. I think I did that wrong. 
I think last year, year before, an affirmative fan corrected me because Bobby did have a son yes. play at App State, but I believe it's Trey Lamb played at Tennessee Tech, which is what I was trying to look up, who was his nephew. But still, either way, the Lamb yeah. family. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Troy has also been very successful. UVA uh, quarterbacks coach uh, was the offensive coordinator for Trey at Gardner-Webb. So, so that, that, that family has deep ties to this conference. There you go. That was the only thing I was going to add to it. All right. Uh, basketball, Freedom Hall, Friday was rocking. Basketball? Um, that was awesome. Fun, fun video. That was, okay, I was not here for the Steve Forbes era. I watched it from a distance and was like, hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, wow, that's a lot of roster turnover. Hey, they won again. That's really cool. Wow, that's a lot of roster turnover. Hey, they won again. That's really cool. But uh, that was the first game that felt like that time since I've been back in, in Johnson City. It felt like that was the atmosphere. Like something was recaptured. Something was rekindled in that win over Davidson on Friday night that had not happened in the halls of that building for a very, very long time. And it was awesome to be surrounded by that. And, you know, ESPN Plus... We have to try to call it down the middle, right? ESPN requires it because it's an ESPN broadcast. It's not a, it's not an ETSU broadcast. It's an ESPN broadcast. So we have to try to call it down the middle. And it was really hard not to get swept up in the emotion of that crowd um, and the, the, the emotion of that comeback in that game for the Bucks was spectacular, easily the best game for Ebi Asamoah, best game for Jaden Parker. I think you saw – a little bit of the vision of Brooks Savage of what this team looks like when all the pieces fit together right. Kimari Peterson played all 40 minutes, and I, I think he still could have, you know, run a 5K after just – dude just looks like he's in phenomenal shape and uh, uh, is obviously going to be somebody that this team leans on quite a bit, not just for shot-making but for facilitating. At one point, ETSU – had six made field goals. Peterson made one of them and assisted on three others. I, I just, he's outstanding. Um, you're really starting to see the pieces come together. I think the bench is still going to take a little bit more time, but this group clearly had something to build on and something to turn their season on after a couple of really disappointing performances on the road coming back home and getting a win over what I think is going to be a competitive A-10 team. Yeah, I think Davidson's already made some waves with what they did in that Asheville tournament. Certainly looks like a, a typical Davidson team. And I think the misnomer about Davidson is they're not tough. Um, just finesse. They disproved that on Friday. They, they disproved it. They do motion. They shoot threes. It's, eh, you know, it's just a, a fluff team, but they – will flat out make it a dogfight in the trenches, and they did. And I know it sounds like a football reference, but that's basically what it looked like at times. It was an ugly game because that's how Davidson is. And the physicality they brought is something that Coach Savage has talked to his team about when I've watched shoot-around and practices. about You're not tough enough. You're not tough enough. You're not playing physical. You don't understand. And I kind of feel like sometimes the guys kind of roll their eyes at him, like, what are you talking about? Well, then you saw – what kind of happened to them against D2 teams. Yep. And you saw what happened to them, Elon and Butler, specifically Butler. And the first ten minutes of this Davidson game. I mean, Davidson picked up a foul one second into the game. That's how physical they were from the jump. Literally on the jump Literally ball. Literally on the jump ball. They were, they were physical and committed a foul. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Somewhere down the road after four or five games, it started to kind of click uh, for how to match the physicality. And then I thought the big thing was when ETSU, they had the flagrant, they had the bench technical, got down 10, and then they just slowly grinded it back the last 10 minutes of the first half, and finally with like 11.30-something, I think they tied the game for the first time, and then the next couple of possessions took the lead, and then it became just a back-and-forth battle. But it took nearly, you know, game five, midway through the first half, I think, for ETSU to realize um, – the players on the floor, how physical they have to be at the Division One level. And I think defensively they were great because they were all over the place. They had to switch late in the games. We can talk about the late game scenario here in a minute, but switching and who they were guarding and considering they played through foul trouble again. And that's the one thing I think is concerning is 
the amount of fouls and a lot of times the amount of bad fouls that ETSU is committing, and I think they've got to get that besides bench play, which is the number one glaring thing. The next glaring thing has got to be foul trouble and guys trying to figure out a way how to stay on the floor because, yeah, there's always some fouls that are going, oh, you know, it's ticky-tack or 50-50, but – there are a lot of fouls that are just fouls that ETSU is committing that they've just got to they've got to clean up at some point. But I would also caution in walking the uh, parking lots before grill talk. The uh, you know ETSU basketball is back. Book it. We're just, I said, woo, easy now. I, and I, then I'm not saying ETSU is not going to be a good team. I'm not saying they're not going to contend. But you know, let's 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 one game at a time. Well, this conference is absolutely stacked. Again, the same the same night that ETSU had that really fun win over Davidson, UNCG went into Arkansas's house and beat them by double digits. I mean, that's uh, Western Carolina went to South Bend and beat Notre Dame. Vontarius Woolbright went absolutely bonkers in that game. Uh, Chattanooga beat Louisville. Now Louisville's not very good this year. Um, I'm sure they would like to trade athletic budgets. Uh, yes, Chad and Louisville. but but still, that's a game that Louisville expects to win. You know, Kenny Payne said we're not going to beat teams on talent after losing to a D2 in his exhibition, and it's like, uh, what? Uh, but it's like you're Louisville, you should absolutely beat teams on talent. But uh, Chattanooga got a win over Louisville. I, the um, I, I can't remember which team it was beat Belmont. Oh, it's Furman. Furman, Furman, beat, Furman beat Belmont by yeah. twenty. Yeah. That wasn't even close. So the, the SOCON is really doing well. It's thriving in non-conference play. There's wins. Uh, there's a couple wins over so, CUSA. So there's a couple wins over Sunbelt. You know, yeah. funny stat as of um, Saturday night, uh, because I happened to, to look it up and uh, out in the parking lot, the SOCON was the third-ranked RPI conference in America. ACC was behind him. Now, we all know when they start playing one another, you yeah, know, it's just going to start stacking and stacking bodies and everything yeah. going. But the the third-rate conference right now in all of college basketball, as of Saturday night, now I don't know what's happened Sunday, and, and we're recording Monday around lunchtime, um, where they are. But they were Saturday night, and I actually sent a message to Dr. Sander about it, and he sent back said, yes, the Southern Conference had sent that to all of us to, to kind of talk about it. So, at some point, uh, you know, that that's going to change. But at the same token, like, it just now, shows Is that RPI or is that net? That was RPI. RPI. RPI is a little different. You can so. see why they, they went away from RPI. Because uh, well, the, fo- well, the Fox has to keep guarding the henhouse. Uh, I mean, you just, you know, the net ranking was very um, useful towards uh, mid-majors until they realized it was too uh, lenient, and then they switched all the rules uh, to take away. The Fox know. must guard the henhouse. We'll see. The uh, first net rankings aren't out yet. They come out for uh, a while. Yeah. I think Warren Nolan has an unofficial one. Um, the net and the RPI? I like yeah, his the, RPI. Yeah, his, his net and his RPI. Love his baseball one, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty the much the one. only one. It's yeah. the one. It's the one. Uh, let me see. Conference net. I'm going to pull this up right now. The SOCON is 19. is, yeah, 19th, um, and this is for this season, but then you pull up his RPI, and his conference RPI as the SOCON 6th, there you go, so there's a pretty big difference in the net and the RPI there, interesting, it's very interesting, there you go, well, at least for one day, top three, there you go, uh, Saturday night, randomly, yeah. We're, we got talking about hoops after the football game. Out in the, the, the post-game festivities, i got to be amongst the people for a minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got talking about that. And I said, well, let me just pull up how good SoCon's been. As I was looking up other things, I was like, well, I'll just randomly check RBI. Hey, look at that. Yeah. What? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Anywho, uh, outstanding game, uh, men's basketball, the late game, I thought. Obviously, I had, you know, PTSD from the uh, UNCA game when it went we on all did. Peterson's foot. And, um then Makai Johnson able, the most least likely guy to probably block a shot, um, yeah, but agreed. to get back in position against Durkin, who was by far their best scorer, three-point shooter, coming into the game at least, and 
to get a piece of that and then Ebiya Samoa have a toe on the line or whatever it was and um, give it back to him for another shot. And then ETSU doing a great job switching assignment, did commit a foul, able to pick up a win. Then the celebration uh, came around. 4,500 fans were there on a Friday night when there were some options going on. That now the other couple games, um, the Chet and Furman they're trying to sell out will will be there. I think Mike DeRocher, the ticket manager, is going to put out something about some uh, uh, some reduced season ticket rates that are prorated because obviously the season's already going. So there's an opportunity to get a prorate um, season ticket. So getting uh, you know striking while the iron's hot for men's basketball. Yes, uh, we absolutely want you to support. Um, there's been a lot of work done. There's there's been more work done to Freedom Hall. I know a couple people pointed out. Some of the banners that have been up uh, that are taught just kind of like, great moments in Freedom Hall history and uh, just kind of helping to create an atmosphere of tradition around the program, even if that tradition is only in the last, what, seven years or ten years. Um, when, was it, when was it? It's a decade. It's, it's right, a they're celebrating the first ten years of Freedom Hall. First ten years of Freedom Hall. So, um, yeah, I, I think that helps just create a sense of, of great tradition around the program and around that venue and the program's connection to the venue, in addition to all of the things that have been done over the years to improve the, the aesthetics of Freedom Hall and, and the feel of Freedom Hall. I mean, there's only so much you can do with the concourses, right? I mean, the pipes are still going to be running there. You're still going to walk through it, you know, 45, 30, 45 minutes after a game, and you're going to be expecting to hear Lady of Spain on an organ somewhere. Right? That, that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the arena that they had in Slapshot. They're, lock, they're walking in for the title game, and it's just like, da 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 And uh, it's kind of the vibe that I got. Like, there's only so much you can do with that. But, um, like, the seating area and the seats and the signage and all of those things that help create uh, the atmosphere of a big-time college basketball game are there. And the work that's been done over this decade to turn Freedom Hall into a venue that, even though it's not on campus, still has the feel of a college basketball arena while not compromising its ability to be a multi-purpose venue, I think is really commendable. And there's a lot of people that go into that that, that, that deserve credit for that. Obviously, um, you know, Doc is, is very high on that list, if not at the top of it. Uh, President Nolan. I also think you could throw in some people that aren't here anymore, like Matt McGuire and, and other people in the external team that have done some work to try to make that thing something special. Like when you go to Freedom Hall, you think of ETSU basketball. You associate it with ETSU basketball readily. And that is something that I think has been done extremely well. And I, I just I love going to the place. I love being on that floor. Super easy to get in and out of for the most part. Uh, it's a, I think it's a great venue. I, I think it could ha- it could be and could have been a lot worse uh, of a place to play basketball, and there could be a lot worse places that ETSU could play basketball than than Freedom Hall. And again, there's so much work that the school and the city have done to make that happen, to make it into what it is now. Just extremely proud to. Definitely fun. Uh, I did enjoy some of the former players that uh, were, were uh, getting sent pictures, and they're like, well, how come I'm not on that? Like, uh, Trey Boyd's like, oh, okay, okay, I want a winner. And then I had to send them the photo. We're like, well, you're on the shooters. Like, when it's others. You're right across the right. hall. Right. we got we, we got to get different guys on there, guy. But uh, there, there were more people that uh, I think in, enjoyed that. And those things will always have uh, different thoughts, right? People have not just players, but Fans will have different thoughts. Well, that guy, none of it. But, again, sparks conversation. Which yeah, is what you and, want. and it gets you talking about some of the great players in program history. And then you you name-check dudes from different generations of players. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember him. I remember when he did this one ridiculous thing. Yeah, no, that was so cool. That That's what fandom's all about, is arguing about players from a long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. We were playing basketball. I'm not going to do any more because uh, we'd have to pay for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I just I, – yeah, I think that's a, a touchstone for the fans. And it's also a, a 
gives a sense of tradition to the people that put on the uniform. Like, hey, these are the guys that came before you. These are the things that they are known for. These are the things that they brought to this program. And someday, you're going to be on these banners. Someday, you're going to be on these billboards. You're going to be the guys that other people are talking about. When you come here and put on this uniform and you do stuff in it, you leave behind a legacy. HSU men's basketball will be at Cleveland State. I'll be on the road tomorrow. Yeah. No, excited for, this week. for Cleveland. Eight hours of Cleveland. I can, uh, Eight hours to Cle- No sleep till Cleveland. Do you yeah. sleep, can you sleep on a bus? Yes. Okay. Military guy, I can sleep. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That doesn't mean my back likes it, but, I mean, I can sleep. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, that's tough. So uh, that's where I'll be Wednesday, Friday. Buccaneer Sports Network will not be able to go with the women who are going to Miami. So I draw Cleveland. They draw Miami. Who won? Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. They, they, they also won against Coral Gables. Yeah, they also won on uh, on Sunday against Presbyterian without Courtney Moore, who they got some good news on her injury um, that she picked up against Radford was not as serious as initially feared. Still gonna miss time. Still got the club, right, a wrap, the big wrap on her uh, her right hand. But um, <clears throat> the the news was not as bad as it could have been uh, when she got injured, and I absolutely thought that was an intentional. But anyway, um, ETSU got a win over Presbyterian. They absolutely burned it up in the third quarter and played a solid fourth quarter as well to see that game to the finish line. Nene Brown, 5 of 5 in the second half. Journey McDaniel, 3 of 3, all threes in the second half. Uh, And Kendall Foley was able to get to the rim consistently. Uh, And and that's part of, well, that is why the Bucs were able to win that game against a Presbyterian team that, has a couple of really good players, but I, I think if Presbyterian goes up against Radford, Radford's got the upper hand. Well, I, the one thing, so i got to pay close attention the first half, and then just because uh, on the road watching my boys, uh, which I don't get to see a lot play football on Sunday, I didn't really, by the time I clicked back in, the game was already over and done with, but I went to see, like, oh, we you know, ETSU won by a lot. I wonder how that happened. So I went to the play-by-play, and then it jumps right out and hits you in the face. Four minutes and 20-some seconds uh, into the third quarter, ETSU on a 14 nothing run, and it just seemed like they kind of flexed on them from there and held it. I don't know if that's – Yes, that's, that, that's, that's, pretty, much, that's yeah. pretty much what happened is they, they went on that big run. That run gave them the separation, and then they held that run. They made it stand up. Presbyterian hit some shots. There were a couple moments where you're like, hey, they might get this. But it never got to single digits after ETSU got it into double figures. So I, you, you were kind of worried, like, okay, is this where Presbyterian starts the run? They start it now. Is this the run? Is this the run? Here's a little spurt. Is this the run? And it never happened. Partly because ETSU just forced them into bad shots and also rebounded the ball extremely well. The guards rebounded down, I thought, pretty well. Jalea Cotton came up with a couple big boards. Journey McDaniel is just an absolute beast all over the glass. She flies in from anywhere and everywhere and nowhere. I mean, it's like a, it's like a ninja just bouncing in from out of thin air and landing right in the middle of all of the, the goons. In the, I don't know. I'm, I'm going down. Yeah, yeah, I don't know where you're going with that. Yeah, no, she's – the point is – like her athleticism allows her to get to rebounds that most people can't get to. Her jumping ability is quite incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, 14 of 25 in the second half shooting for ETSU, obviously that's a great number. Five of eight, a great number. They've struggled a little bit free throw line, but 11 of 16 in the second half, great they number. They made more free throws than Presbyterian took, which is one of the benchmarks. Yeah, oh, you love it. Yeah, I love it. Especially when you're on the road, man. That's you tough. can get that yep. going. That's, that's, to, to, to make more than they take on the road – You've done some good work, and that means you're actually taking the fight to them. Points off turnover, second half, 14-5 ETSU. So a lot of categories, recipe for if I gave you this, you would think, okay, this team won, and that's that's about what had happened for women's basketball. But now two solid wins over Radford and Presbyterian. I think both of them picked highly in their – both second, right? Both t- they were tied, tied for, for second. second. They were okay. tied for second in the so, preseason. I mean, I think you got to feel pretty good about where um, Brenda Mock Brown and that squad is at right this second. Now they'll head down, and you know, 
I think, a winnable game against Norfolk State. And then you either get the homestanding Miami Hurricane Rodas uh, or Colgate. Colgate, so, also a very good team. So no matter how it goes, and I'm certainly not uh, guaranteeing the win against Norfolk State, but um, still a chance to get a couple good games in. Then they're going to be home uh, for quite a while. They'll have one home game uh, to wrap up the month of November against Lipscomb on the road at Moorhead State, and then they basically can just set up uh, a tent and sleep inside Brooks Gym for the next two and a half weeks without yeah. play. I guess they go to Freedom Hall for a couple, but they'll be in Johnson City. Nor- Norfolk State could be tough. Um, they beat William and Mary in their opener. They beat Drexel, and then they went to Radford and won by 24. Uh, they beat App by 14. Uh, that game was at home, and then they went on the road across town to Hampton. And they won that game by 14, 59-45. Norfolk State's so, good program. Is it a winnable game? Yes. Will it be easy? Not by any stretch. Colgate also a uh, very highly thought of team in the preseason uh, over in the Patriot League and I think still considered uh, pretty all right. They, they are 3-0 and uh, to start the year. They're going to play Miami first. But they also haven't played a super robust schedule, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, Cornell, UMBC, Canisius, that's not going to jump off of anybody's or jump up on anybody's radar like, oh, wow, watch out for Colgate. But that could also just be a product of trying to shave costs and they're actually really talented. Um, Anybody that goes and plays Miami is going to be up against it. But that Colgate team is good. All right, now, unfortunately, no coverage for women's basketball, but uh, we'll be back after the Thanksgiving holidays. We'll do another podcast. I'm sure we'll talk a little more football coaches search type things. I don't know if we'll have a a watch bumper at that point or or something to do. Again, we're limited on what we can talk about. And to be honest with you, I don't know that they're going to tell me a lot. (laughs) No, they're probably not. I think this is going to be kept pretty close to the vest, I would have to admit. I would have to think that this is one that – but also, again – what is there to tell? This process is going to be very right. formative early on. We're, we're just – I think people are just trying to get their bearings of what's out there, what's possible, and then you narrow it down to what is what what is something that's probable, what is something that is likely um, that, that we can make work. Uh, that's going to be the challenge. Uh, but we do – I mean, I guess we can start Portal Watch if you want because the Portal is – because a number of team seasons have ended. Uh, grad transfers can go in whenever they want. The standard portal window opens um, in four in two weeks. But um, well, I guess since ETSU season is over, the portal period is kind of the same deal. Like it's, it's two weeks, um, or it's in two weeks. And that's a 30-day period, I believe. It is a 30-day. Yes. Uh, whereas if ETSU had fired – in in the season, say, um, that that would have triggered an immediate 30-day period that players could enter the portal at will. Uh, but right now it's just grad transfers. Uh, you're seeing a lot of that in the Ivy League and the Patriot League where seasons are ending. I know Ivy League guys have been entering the portal for a couple of weeks now as grad transfers. So there's a lot of, since there's turnover, there's a coaching change at Cornell. Ever heard of it? Uh, there's been a lot of movement there. Uh, Yale, I think, had a really good tight end go in the portal. Uh, Holy Cross, Matthew Sluka went in the portal today. Uh, they're a great quarterback because he has an extra, I believe, year of eligibility. And Holy Cross does not have a graduate school. So he is looking for a place to play. Um, and a really good player. And I think some, just an absolute baller. I mean, that, that's a guy that's going to find plenty of options. But, yeah, portal season is starting. Silly season is, is heating up across the country. And we'll have an eye on all of it. That's it for today's show. We'll have uh, results of the Thanksgiving tournaments next week. Oh, we'll yeah, st- we we'll start. Six, we'll start. Four, you just hurry, hurry, hurry. Six, six, six final results. Uh, I went 47 and 22. You went 39 and 30. I was over 500. Look at me. Yeah. Look at whole, me. You're a whole, like, nine games over 500. Let's go. I did not have as good of a year as I wanted, but I had as good of a year as I probably deserved. I don't know what you thought you deserved or not. So. Uh, I, des- I probably deserved to win fewer games on this mm. uh, Yeah. 
You deserve some Thanksgiving turkey, I tell you. That. Uh, we're gonna have plenty of that. We, we will we will have turkey. You gotta get you gotta get a big bird up in uh, Cleveland. I I hope. I hope so too, for your sake. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, from all of us here at the Jay and Keith Show. I'm Keith. He's Jay, and this is the Buccaneer Sports Network. Go eat some turkey. <laughs>